Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's go to John chapter 6 tonight. John chapter 6, and uh, we're going to look tonight. Four questions from the crowd that we're going to look at tonight. John chapter 6 and verse 22 is where we're going to begin. But in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, we kind of see, we pick up with uh, the events that happen immediately following Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000 and the different things that are going there. We're going we're gonna to skip a little portion of it uh, here in just a minute when we read it, but we're going to be picking up with some things. And then Jesus is trying to take the miracle that he's just done and explain to them uh, the significance of it and how he is the bread of life. He is uh, what we need and to take our focus away from earthly things, away from earthly things and put them instead on spiritual things and a spiritual focus instead. We'll begin reading in verse 22. It says, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. I'm going to stop there for just a minute, because that seems like a very minor detail, maybe, or an extra added detail. And you have a, if you have a King James Version, it's got it in parentheses probably. If you don't, it may or may not. I didn't, I didn't check other versions. But this is an important thing to realize that if you go back to uh, the end of verses um, 16 and 17 and 18 of the same chapter, you're going to find where those disciples are in the sea in a storm. And Jesus comes walking across. And the very fact that this little detail in verse 23 has been placed in there is is showing us that there was indeed a storm. I was reading this, and I thought it was very interesting. But the fact that the boats were leaving from Tiberias, which is kind of on the southeastern side, if I was thinking about geography correctly, to go to Capernaum, which is where Jesus went, which is kind of on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, it shows that there was, in fact, a storm. It's a minor detail, but it's just reinforcing the fact there was a storm. It was a bad storm. And the reason they're leaving from Tiberias on a boat to go to Capernaum is because that's what they did back then when there was a bad storm. That way, when it was over and when it was all done, it wouldn't affect them as much, and they could be safer on the ocean. I thought that was kind of interesting, just a little minor detail there and a verse that we might just kind of brush over, but it has a reason. God's got a reason for everything that's in his word. So I just wanted to share that with you real quick. It was a, it was a neat, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about necessarily, but it was a neat fact. Uh, verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum to seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. 
Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he had given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Let's pray one more time. God, I just pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, God, and help tonight as we look in these verses, God, and help uh, the, the words to say to be from your words only, God, and not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. So here it is again. This is, this is Jesus, and they've, they've caught up to him, okay? Uh, if you look at the end, at the, at, uh, let's go back to about uh, verse um, 15 or so um, and, uh, of John chapter 6 and just kind of read there. It says, When Jesus therefore perceived they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So they're, they're at the end of this uh, time that the, he has multiplied the food, the five loaves, the two, you know, the fishes and all, and, and now 5,000 people, well, 5,000 men, have eaten, okay? There are probably a whole lot more people there, uh, women and children and so forth, than just 5,000. So he's fed a great multitude of people, and they are ready to make him a king. They're ready for him to do other things as well, for him to give them more physical food, for them to be a political messiah. That's what they've been looking for. They want somebody to come and rid them of the Roman rule and reestablish the kingdom. Uh, and that would be the kingdom like David, the kingdom of old of Israel when it was a joint kingdom and David was on the throne. That's what they mean by that. And so they wanted him to do that. And he has left, gotten out of the way because that's not what he came for the first time anyway. Uh, he is coming again one day to rule and reign. Uh, but this time was not then. And then the disciples are going to go and get on a boat and try to catch up to wherever he is uh, later on. But uh, he's got this situation here. He's come to them on the sea, all right, and they were in a storm. And then about verse 19, it says, So when they'd rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh in the ship, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And so that's a very important fact as well. Here's not only was there a miracle of Jesus walking on the water and they're safe from the storm, but as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, they're at Capernaum. I don't know where in the ocean they were, the sea, where in the Sea of Galilee they were when this all happened, but there's an indication there that they were immediately uh, uh, where they were going uh, without having to sail the rest of the way, so to speak. And um, so once the storm is over now, we're kind of picking up, and the other people that were there, are, are trying to find boats to catch up to where Jesus went. They saw the disciples get in a boat. They saw him leave. They said, okay, we're going to follow him. We're going to figure out where he's at. We want to see this miracle again. We want to see, we want to eat again as well is what's going on here. 
and they're trying to catch up to him. And when they do, they're going to ask him four questions. That's what we're going to look at tonight. These four distinct questions that they ask. And what is Jesus' response at each one of his questions? What is he teaching here? And what is he trying to do? Ultimately, Jesus is going to be revealing their hearts. You know, they're focused on the earthly things only. And Jesus came, of course, for a much higher purpose than just the earthly things. So let's go and and pick up here. The first question we're going to find is in verse 25. So if you'll go there first, uh, first, or excuse me, John 6, 25 says this, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Immediately, here's his answer. Now, his answer could have been, and I mean this respectfully, his answer could have been this. Well, uh, you wanted to make me a king, and it's not the right time, so I left. I walked on the ocean, got in a boat with my disciples, and landed on Capernaum. That could have been his answer. But instead, his response was very plainly told to them, you're here because you want more food. You're not here because you're interested in the spiritual things of life. You're not here because you want to learn more about God. You're here because you want more food. And Jesus goes on to say, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Jesus wanted them to think of spiritual things. And that's what he wants us to do as well. He wants us to have our minds on heaven and and on the things uh, of, of heaven and not on the things of earth. We've already talked a little bit about how they wanted to make him a king, and that's what he wanted, that's what they wanted him uh, to be for him. But Jesus says, no, these things pass away. It's very, very temporary. And this bread, you could eat this bread again, and you're going to be hungry again. You're already hungry, you know? Yesterday you had bread, you felt good, and now you want more. And notice, too, what Jesus is doing here as well in verse 27. He's using the, the phrase, son of man. He's not, he's not saying Messiah. He's using a very selective phrase and this phrase, son of man, was, was a phrase that was used, it was known, but it wasn't necessarily a phrase in this particular case that was connected with any kind of messianic prophecy. Because Jesus doesn't want them to hear him say some kind of messianic prophecy thing at this point, and, and again, try to make him the king by force. So he's trying to use words which describe himself, which are, which are uh, uh, about him, but are not going to lead the people again to actually revolt. The spiritual things are better. And he says that he can give them the spiritual things. Look again at verse 27. For him, let's go back a little bit from there. Uh, For that lasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. He's used the term Son of Man. He's indicated that God has sealed him. Now, again, in, in King James, a lot of the capitalization is not... Uh, the same as other modern translations. But what it's saying there is God has sealed the Son of Man. God has shown and proved and guaranteed that Jesus is the one who can give you the eternal life. He's the one that can give the spiritual food, uh, and it has been sealed. It's been shown. How has it been shown? Jesus' baptism. All were present at Jesus' baptism. The voice of God spoke. The Holy Spirit descended uh, uh, on Jesus in the form, like the form of a dove. And, and Jesus himself, of course, was there being baptized. There was, there was that moment, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. There's a moment where Jesus was sealed by the Father. Then he's got all these other miracles that he's performed up to this point, including the one that he's about to reference of the feeding of the 5,000. He is the one that can give you uh, the things that you need, the spiritual food that you need. He is the son of man. 
But he reveals their hearts to them and says, listen, this is what you're really thinking about. Labor. Labor not for the uh, meat which perisheth. Now that, that word there, labor, it means work, right? It means work. That's all it means. It's a work like a physical labor, like what you do, going out and doing physical work. Here's a group of people that are trying to work for and earn their salvation through what they can do on their own through their physical strength. And it's important to understand that that's what he's saying. He's not telling people, hey, don't go to work anymore. You know, that's, that's not at all what he's saying. It's not actual. He's saying, don't make your whole life about the physical work and the physical labor that you can do. And salvation is also not about the physical work and the physical labor that you can do. It's not about you at all. It's about what God has done and what Jesus has done for us. And don't make that the only focus of your life because the things that are here, they're temporary. Focus on what is above. The people followed him because they wanted more. They wanted more bread. He said, don't work for those things that perish. Don't work for those things that pass away. Instead, focus on what's above. Well, the people are not satisfied with this answer, of course. So they ask again. Here's the second question. Question number two in verse 28. Then, say, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? They still have this idea of work in their head. So they've said, do work and works, all in this one question. Three things here, and it indicates again still where their focus is on what they can do for themselves. They could not see Jesus' meaning. Do there is, is doing something. These are not like big, amazing Greek words. But I wanted to look them up because Jesus does put a play on it, and so do the people, actually. So do, just doing things with your hands. Working, the first work in verse 28, is the same word as the word labor that Jesus used in verse 27. So what do we need to do that we can work the works of God? Well, what's the third work? The third work means this. It's more like business. What is the business of God? What is God all about? What do we need to do that we can do with our hands so we can be about God's business. That's what they were saying to him. They were saying, tell us what we need to do to get what we want. Tell us what we need to do, Jesus, so that we can get what we want right now. We'll do whatever it is. And again, still focusing on the earth. They just wanted a works-based religion. They wanted to know what it was that they could uh, manipulate and what they could hold and how they could how they could please God with what they do in their own hands and what they work with. Titus 3, 5, and 6 tells us this, though. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's not about what we can do with our hands. It's not about what we can do on our own. It's not about physical things. It's about the spiritual things only. And Jesus has a very specific response for this question as well. And he says this, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the work of God. Now, that third word, work, that the people used in verse 28, which means business, what's the business? What can I do? Is the same word that Jesus used in verse 29. What is the business of God? 
is to save souls. It's to offer eternal life. What is the will of the Father that Jesus talks about in the later in the verses? It's that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose again, that we may be reconciled and saved and redeemed from the fall. What is the business of God? It is to save those who believe on him who sent or believe on him whom he hath sent. Who did God send? God sent Jesus. John 3.18, you can turn back there. It's just uh, probably a few pages over from where you're at. John 3.18. And we see this also when Jesus meets secretly at night with Nicodemus. The same idea as what Jesus is teaching the people here is what he told to Nicodemus by night. 3.18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Not because he didn't do some works with his hands. Not because he didn't do something that was pleasing or whatever. It's because he did not believe in the only begotten, the Son of God. Business is to believe on him. We are not to do anything. We don't work for our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we trust God for salvation. The work of God begins with trusting in Jesus. And that's a very important thing, too, because here's, here's, that, here's that where the obedience and faith, we talked about this in Sunday school today, but where obedience and faith and trust kind of meet the road and come all together. Obedience is something that God wants from us, but it begins with trusting Jesus and placing our trust in that. When you think about this, Jesus wants more than just our, our little obedient robot-like people, okay? You have children, some of you, you have grandchildren. There's more to that relationship than just obedience, right? I mean, that's an important part of it, don't get me wrong. But ultimately, there's more to that relationship than just obedience. Ultimately, what we want is something that's based on trust and love, and it's a much deeper and much broader relationship, and that's what God is seeking with us, not that people run around doing everything and robotic and yes, you know, but that there is a relationship that is restored and is based on trust and love and obedience flows out of that. He's still working. Jesus is still working to get their focus away from earthly things and away from what's on here and onto spiritual things. So he uses their own word to try to redirect their thinking again back to heavenly things. They change the word. In verse 20. Verse 28, it said, what is the work? What is the business? He said, I'll tell you what the business of God is. It's saving souls, placing your faith in him. That is the work of God. Well, they're not done yet. They're not satisfied still. They have another question. Verse number 30 now is their next question. They say, therefore, unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Here's our next question. It's kind of two questions in one, but it's also still showing where their mind is focused. They're going to go on and explain their question. Verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they want a sign. Now understand this too, okay? I want you to look ahead for just a minute to... Uh, John uh, 6, 59, okay? Because, again, 
They've left where the feeding of the 5,000 was. They've crossed the sea. They're in Capernaum. Look at verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And if you notice, really from verse 22 all the way over to verse 59 uh, of John chapter 6, this whole thing is one long conversation that Jesus is having with the people there. So that's where this is all taking place, in the synagogue in Capernaum. So some of the people that are there, they're still stuck on that whole bread thing. They say, hey, you know what? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. We want some more bread, Jesus. But now that he's in the synagogue, some of the people that are present for this part of the conversation are actually leaders, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so forth. And they're there questioning Jesus, as always, trying to throw him off track and figure something out, way to trap him in his own words. And so they're the ones saying, hey, what about a sign? What do you work? What are the things you do? So Jesus is going to point him back to the feeding that just happened there. Manna was a sign from heaven that God's provision in the wilderness. And so the people here are actually using Scripture to try to manipulate Jesus into giving them something that they want again. Let's turn back to Psalm 78, because this is the Scripture, this is the verses that they would have been using, or some of the verses that they would have been using probably uh, to, uh, to reference this here and to try to throw before Jesus. Psalm 78, if you'll go there quickly. But remember when the, when the Israelites were going through the desert and they were complaining about food and not having any food, one of the times they were doing it, God said, all right, I'm going to give you manna from heaven. It'll be just enough for one day. and You've got to go out every day and gather it. If you gather more than you need, it's going to stink the next day. It's not going to be any good. You've got to gather it uh, every day, each day. And uh, that was because they were complaining about it. And then they got bored with that, and they said, hey, you know what? We don't have any meat. We need some meat. And so he sent all the quails. And that's what we're going to kind of read about here. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 23. It says this, Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them the meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea. And he let it, he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations. So they did eat, and they were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. Now, I was reading this the other day, and I started looking around. I said, you know what? Though he gave them, though he commanded... Gave them their own desire. It's not something that's really part of tonight's thing, but this desire that, that's being talked about in, in, in this verse, Psalm 20, uh, 78, 29, is not a desire that's a godly desire. It's a desire of selfishness and lust. And it's not a really good thing when God gives you that kind of desire. When you go your own way so much and God says, fine, you're going to go your own way, you can have your own way. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And that's what is being talked about here. He gave them their desire. Well, it wasn't a good desire. It was a fleshly lusting after something and a complaining. He gave it to them. Because how do we know that? Let's go on. Verse 30. They were not estranged from their lust. But while the meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. The people of Israel in that day when they got the manna, when they got the quail, they still complained and they still believed not. 
And this is the same thing that Jesus is encountering over in the next. They got bread. They were ungrateful in getting it. They got meat. They were ungrateful in getting it. And if you were to read, we're not going to read it now, but if you were to go to Numbers chapter 11, you could read all about what happened when they got those quails. They still did not believe, and they still complained. And the people here in the same way. So they're not really picking the very best example for them to ask this question to Jesus because it was the same situation as before. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. And they went right back to labor again. That word there, uh, excuse me, in verse uh, number uh, 30, what dost thou work? They're right back to the same word that was used by Jesus in verse 27. Labor. They're right back to doing something with their hands. Would he give them bread every day? Let's look at Jesus' response. Let's look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gave you, giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Jesus rightly told them, Moses didn't give you that bread, God did. And just like God gave the manna, just like God gave the bread from heaven, God is now giving the Son of Man from heaven. God is now giving Jesus Christ from heaven. And this bread gives life to the world. This bread is what will satisfy completely that you'll never have to eat again. We're going to see that in just a minute. You'll never have to eat again. You'll never have to thirst again because it is completely satisfying because it's satisfying that thing that nothing else on earth will do. No physical thing, no amount of work, no amount of labor, no amount of anything else will satisfy the way that Jesus satisfies. I just thought of another hymn. I was thinking about that, wasn't I, before? Satisfied. That's a good hymn, too. All right, sorry. That was a squirrel. Anyway, uh, but that's what it is. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, look, here's the work. This is the work that I'm doing. The work that I'm giving is I am giving you the word of God, and I'm giving you eternal life through me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the work. The work is believing on him whom the Father hath sent. The work is that I'm giving myself. I'm coming to give you the word of God and eternal life. And they still had no idea. They still missed it. They were still focused on what they could get here and now. And that's evidenced by the, na- the last question, question number four they're going to ask him. Look at verse 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. That's more of a request than a question, you know. But it's still they're asking for something. Give us this bread. They're equating all that's happening with an actual physical thing that they can get. Now, we'll take a step back for just a minute, okay? Because how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand and admit this out loud, but if you're like me, when you get hungry, that's pretty much all you can think about, right? I find myself with a very one-track mind on Sunday afternoon when we get home and I'm ready to eat, but we got to kind of finish up this and that, you know, and sometimes there's a little tension in the kitchen because I'm ready to eat and it's not going as fast as I want it to go, okay? (laughs) And that's not against... My wife, Megan, she's a wonderful cook and, and all. Uh, so that's not anything against her at all. Just food takes a while to cook, right? Food takes a while to cook, unless you want to eat it cold. But anyway, we have a one-track mind, don't we? I mean, they have a one-track mind here. They probably are hungry. Okay? Uh, so, you know, I would be careful about being too critical. But we do want to remember that, again, the focus here that Jesus is trying to get them to is that 
We try to fill our lives with other things, don't we, though? Or we know people that do. You know, a void in our life, or we're trying to fill it up with something physical that satisfies. Maybe it is, you know, as we're going through this work. Someone whose goal in life is to work very, very hard and, and, and get all they can while they're here and becomes their sole focus, and all of a sudden, family and friends, they're not around anymore, right? Or it could be other things. It could be, you know, uh, drugs or other things or whatever. You know, it could be anything. Something that a person tries to fill in their life. So we often also, even after we're saved, we also have to have our minds lifted to spiritual things, don't we? A lot of times we get our focus in the wrong place. A lot of times we start looking at the physical aspect of what's going on. We try to solve things on our own. So it's important for us to remember that we have to lift our minds to spiritual things as well. Now they did say in verse 34, going back to our text, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Are they starting to believe? Probably not. Probably not. I'll tell you why. Look back again. Look, look ahead, actually. We, we read it in verse 26. You, you, you're here because you, you, you want more bread, not because you believe. But look at verse 36. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. We'll come back to that in a minute. I don't think they still have grasped it. They're still struggling to understand. They want the bread. And so Jesus is going to say, okay, here it is very plainly. Here's my answer for question number four, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I'm the bread of life. And so he answers their question with this statement. A spiritual desire is fulfilled in Jesus. The thing most needed is given in him. Jesus says, don't work for these physical things. Don't let your whole life be focused on that. The world that's around us passes away. And the things that we have, we may not have tomorrow. Don't let that be the whole thing. This is Jesus' invitation. If this was a sermon that Jesus was giving, this would be the portion what we call the invitation. He's saying, I'm the bread of life. Come to me. Come to me for what you need. Don't go to the world for what you need. It can't satisfy don't go to the labors of your own hands. It can't satisfy. Don't try to fill the void with something else that you can find here. Come to me because I can fulfill your desires. That's what he's saying when he says, I'm the bread of life. That's what he's inviting people to do. Charles Spurgeon said this, Faith in Christ is simply and truly described as coming to him. It's not an acrobatic feat. It's simply a coming to Christ. It is not an exercise of profound mental faculties. It is coming to Christ. A child comes to his mother, a blind man comes to his home, even an animal comes to his master. Coming is a very simple action indeed. It seems to have only two things about it. One is to come away from something, and the other is to come to something. Charles Spurgeon said that. That's what Jesus is inviting the people here. That's the, that's the invitation that Jesus still gives today. That's the invitation that we can share. It's something that we need to remember too whenever uh, we try to go and solve problems on our own. It says, come away. Come away from trying to solve your own problems. Come away from trying to find your substance in this life. Come away from trying to find fulfillment in the physical world. Come away from that and come to me that can fulfill all the desires that you have. Jesus calls, to, calls us to come in faith. Look ahead a little bit. We're promised that whoever comes is not cast out. But I say unto you, continuing his answer, he's continuing his answer through the end of verse 40. Ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. 
And him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. There's the promise right there. Those that come in faith to God will not be cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. What an incredible thing to know that when we come to God in faith, we don't have to worry about losing our salvation. We don't have to worry about holding on to something. God's the one that has us. And this is the will of him that sent me, verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This last little bit of verse 40 uh, kind of has a reference back to another incident in the children of Israel going through the desert. Remember, they were again murmuring and complaining, and God sent fiery serpents in, and they begin to bite, and the people begin to die. And they were told, or Moses was told, I'll read it for you, Numbers 21, 8 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, it sh- or when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld that serpent of brass, he lived. It was a very simple thing, but it was in faith. Go and look at the snake. Go and look at the serpent of brass on the pole, and you will live. Go to, go to John 3, 14. Because Jesus makes this connection here as well. Not only is he making that connection, I think, in, in, in verse 40 of chapter 6, that whoever sees the Son and believes on him will have everlasting life. Just like those children of Israel, they looked at the serpent and they had, etern- they had health and healing in their life. In John 3, 14, again, talking to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the healing is. That's where the strength is. That's where all the things that we need, all the important things, all the spiritual things, all the eternal things are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and as, again, another, another hymn that's just come to my head, as, as it said, I don't know if you know it or not, just look and live. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. I don't think that's in our hymnal either. Y'all, we've got to get a new hymnal. We've got to raise some money and get a new hymnal. All right. The question tonight for us, though, on a Sunday night, a lot, a lot of, I know the, the majority of us in here, we're, we're, we're you know, saved and, and, and those kind of things. Our, 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 our question is that if you haven't accepted Jesus, I would invite us to do that, of course, that any time that we have a message that should go out. Jesus calls to us. The invitation is open always. But it's good for us to hear the gospel, too. It's good for us to be reminded of these things. Sometimes we get our focus off as Christians. We get our focus off of what's going on and off of heaven and off of the spiritual things and off of the eternal things. And something happens in our life and we look back to the material things. And we're tempted a lot of times to look at our hands and say, what can I do right now to help myself in this situation? What can I do right now that's going to make this better? Sometimes Jesus says, just look. Just look to me. Just look to me and let me take care of it. And we need to be reminded to look to Christ and to the things that can truly satisfy and stop looking at the earthly things only.